0: battery. I'm a uh, retired Christian Reformed pastor. My wife and I That's not supposed to happen. My wife and I are um, actually members of this church, but we have been kind of attending remotely for the past 2 years, uh, partly because we're very careful about the pandemic and also because my wife's disability makes it difficult. So, we are very grateful that we could be part of this congregation remotely. And uh, so every Sunday we share uh, in the worship of this church. So you may not see us, but we're seeing you. Um, and the only time I'm not at church here is when I'm preaching out, and uh, that's actually happening a fair bit. You know, Pastor Curtis mentioned that this is a bit of a last-minute thing, and one reason I can do that is I'm getting used to it. Um, this is the fourth time in two months that I'm filling in for pastors because of COVID. Uh, Pastor Truel in Ladner tested positive. He had to be away for two weeks and so I filled in. And then two weeks ago Pastor Velikoop in the bridge was tested but waiting for results so I filled in and now Pastor Ed.
1: My understanding is that next
0: week Pastor Jenner will be here so you will have a familiar face again. Okay, this morning I'm going to take up a subject that might seem a little bit old-fashioned. At least it's a it's an old-fashioned kind of question that people wrestled with. And that is the relationship of Christian faith to works, the things we do. So to the, for the, comparing the things we believe to the actual way we live. Um, and that issue of faith and works and the value they have, uh, that was actually quite a hot topic in the time of the Reformation. It was a hot topic between uh, Catholic and Protestant, and also between Lutheran and Calvinist. So to get us into that, I'm going to read a couple of verses uh, from the book of Ephesians, so from the letters of Paul, and then following that, a a longer section from the book of James. And you're going to hear about faith and works both times, and in somewhat contrasting ways. And so we'll explore this together. So here is Ephesians chapter two, and it's at the uh, begins at verse eight and goes to verse ten. And at the beginning of that chapter, Paul talks about how the Ephesian people were dead and lost in their sin, and then they were made alive in Christ. And then he ends up with this these lines: For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God, not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So, not by works, so that no one can boast. Paul's words to the Ephesians. Then to Paul, the letter of James and chapter 2. And so. Remember what you just heard as I read these lines. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Um, Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe there is one God? Good! Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Wasn't our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did? In the same way was not even Rahab, the prostitute, considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. So, James chapter 2, this is the word of God. You know, years ago, um, the banner, our Christian Reform magazine, It had had an interesting article called, um, Merciful Living, it was by um, Pastor James Cook. It included a little bit of history. Uh, Pastor Cook took us back to the beginnings of Christianity uh, in the time of the Roman Empire. And at that time, uh, Christianity was a new faith and very small. And it was surrounded by Roman religions, which were very, very big. And yet, over time, those Roman religions withered away. I mean, no one worships the gods of Rome today. And Christianity grew and grew. Now, why was that? Well, according to Pastor Cook, one big reason in those early years was um, Christian was merciful living, Christianity. He said killed paganism with kindness. He he said that Jesus changed the way people live in very practical ways. He he taught people how to be kind, and he did that. I mean, he led by example, right? I mean, Jesus was was kindness personified. He, he, uh, he showed compassion to the outcast, to the rejected, to the diseased. If, if anyone needed healing, if anyone needed acceptance, if anyone needed words of comfort, Jesus would, would give that to them. And, and he told his followers to go and do likewise. Meanwhile, the, the pagan world, I mean, the world of the Roman Empire, that lived by a different set of expectations, and they were much more unkind. For instance, it was acceptable then to, um, to abandon a child with a birth defect. You just Leave him in the forest, in the cold, where the wild animals could find him. It was acceptable to abandon a baby girl in the wild, in the cold, because you preferred a boy to a girl. You know, care for the weak, generosity for the poor, that, that was optional. You know, Dionysius was a, um, a bishop in the early Christian church, and he told how, how the, he called them the heathen, how they would push the sick out onto the road before they died. Because their gods did not expect more. On the other hand, Christian people took care of those who were ill. Even those who were ill with contagious diseases. And and this was before we had, you know, masking and distancing and, you know, uh, vaccinations. Sometimes they would become ill themselves and die along with their their neighbors. And if they survived, if they lived, it was often because of the, the, the tender care they received from from Christian brothers and sisters. And sometimes their neighbors would become ill, and they would survive because of the tender care of Christian people, and then they would be brought into the faith. And so, according to Pastor Cook, the religions of Rome died because of their cold-heartedness. And Christianity grew through, through merciful living. In other words, one, the big reason Christianity grew is not the preachers and their fine words and their eloquence. I mean, that might have been a part of it. I'd hope so. But it wasn't the big part of the story at all. The, the main reason, the greatest witness for Christ were these Christian acts of love. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Sounds pretty challenging, too. Think of the difference we could make if, if we lived and showed these, uh, uh, to use the words of an old hymn, these deeds of love and mercy. You know, we sang this hymn when I was a boy, you know, for not by swords loud clashing or roll of stirring drums, but with deeds of love and mercy, the heavenly kingdom comes. Now, who could argue with that? And yet you might know that at times these these deeds of love and mercy have been an issue. I mean, not that they're wrong. Of course not. They are commanded of us. But they can become an issue when we somehow use them or try to use them as a replacement for faith as a substitute for Jesus himself. Then we've got a problem. The old term for that is called works righteousness, and that is not a good thing. If I imagine that somehow the good that I do can can make me right with God and, and, and bring me into his salvation, um, well, let's just say that's going to make the Apostle Paul very upset. You know, we read two pieces this morning, and one of them is from the Apostle Paul, and the other is from the Apostle James. And they both talk about faith and about works. And from the sounds of it, they they disagree with each other. In Paul... Our works, our, our, our deeds of love and mercy are, are totally inconsequential. They're worth deadly. While in James, from the sound of it, they are essential. Now, should we sit these two down and make them sort out their differences? I mean, it's a standard Bible college seminary kind of assignment. How how can the Bible say in one place that works really don't matter much and in the other that they really do? I mean, couldn't those two people figure that out before they wrote a Bible? Now, fortunately, we don't have to say that because Paul and James don't disagree with each other. They're just telling different parts of one story. Paul is giving us the first part. James is giving us the second. Paul talks about what God does for us in Jesus Christ. And we cannot improve on what he did. We shouldn't even try to improve on what he did. Instead, we should believe, trust, have faith, and then James tells his part. He explains how that faith will show up in your in your way of life. When you trust someone like Jesus, it will show up big. You cannot be the same anymore. Now, let, let's fill this out with a story. And and let's call it your story. And your story begins kind of at a low point. You've done wrong again. You, 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 you've made bad mistakes again. Maybe, maybe you, you spoke recklessly. You were mean. You, you were hurtful. And you would do anything to take back those reckless words, but you can't. As the saying goes, you can't unring a bell. And then, then there are the things you didn't do. You, you weren't as generous as you should have been or, or as kind. And then there were things you didn't say. You could have said something encouraging. You, should, you could have offered words of comfort to someone in pain, but you didn't. And sometimes you feel bad about that, and well, sometimes you don't. It doesn't really matter. Either way, you, you are guilty. Because guilt is not about how you feel. It's, it's about facts. It's about the things you did that were wrong or didn't do that were right. Meanwhile, um, the clock is ticking. Your life is passing you by. I mean, days roll into weeks and months and years. It's like Isaiah the prophet once said, you know, all people are like the grass and their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. In other words, you're aging. If you're like me, you're, you've been aging for a long time. And maybe at one time you thought, you know, you could make up for the things you did wrong. You, you, you could You could... Fix your mistakes. You you promise that you're going to be a better person tomorrow. You'll you'll be more kind, more careful, more willing to help. But that hasn't worked out. I mean, not yet anyways. And eventually you kind of realize there's not going to be enough time. Now, these are not happy thoughts. And, And they can haunt you. Now now and then somewhere you'll hear some you know inspirational talk about facing your challenges and living your dreams and creating your own success and you'll give it a try but it doesn't work. And you try again and it doesn't work. It's just not happening for you. You can't do it. Well, you know something that low point that that can be the darkness before dawn that's when you are ready for grace grace means that you let god do what you cannot do yourself god forgives you he pardons you and then you can forgive yourself and then you can feel completely safe even when you die you will be surrounded by almighty love and by a peace that passes all understanding. And that is God's gift. You can't earn it. You shouldn't even try to earn it. As, as Paul told the Ephesians, it is by grace you are saved through faith and this is not your own doing. It is a gift from God, not by works. So that no one can boast. So here, faith isn't something you do, something you you earn or deserve. It, it's more like holding out your empty hands to receive this wonderful gift. And here, works are not necessary. In fact, at this point in the story, they're almost dangerous because they can somehow tell me that you know, I somehow deserve what I'm getting here, that I've earned this. I, I can become like the, the Pharisee in that story that Jesus told. He fasted and he prayed and he gave generously, you know, and, and therefore, you know, thank you, Lord, that I am not like other people. And I can tell myself, well, I do that too, and I go to church on Sunday, and so I deserve it, at least more than those robbers and evildoers over there. And if that's what you would think, Paul would step in and say, No, 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 no. Works are worth nothing here. Depend on grace. And grace alone. And you know something? James, this you know, faith without works person, he would agree. But he'd also say that your story isn't finished. You, you have to finish it now, and so he'd want to talk about the way faith affects you, how faith works on you 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 trust in God and 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 in his forgiveness and it's a wonderful trust it changes everything, doesn't it? It changes you. so now think of this: the God who loves you and forgives you and embraces you. He's also the God who loves the poor. Who wants to feed the hungry and give drink to the thirsty and be a friend to the lonely. Will faith in that God make a difference? Well, James would say you better believe it will if your faith is alive. But if you do nothing, if it makes no difference, if you are totally unchanged, then... (laughs) It could be that your faith is dead. It's like a, a fruit tree that bears no fruit. Something's wrong. You know, one person who helped me figure this out years ago uh, was Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and that, that little book, Cost of Discipleship. And he, he explained how faith becomes fruitful how it is fruitful. And, and he went to the calling of the first disciples. And Jesus called these ordinary people away from their work, and said, follow me, and, and, and they did. He called Levi, the tax collector, away from his tax booth, you know, which probably was worth a lot of money then. He said, come, follow me. And Levi did. He called Peter, Andrew, James, and John away from their fishing boats might still have been on payments, you know. He said, follow me. And they did. And why did they do that? They did it because they trusted Jesus. They had faith. Faith that life with Jesus was be better and and, and, and more, they'd have a better future with Jesus than with their tax booths and their fishing boats. I mean, they might lose out financially, but in the ways that really matter, they they would become rich. So their faith, their faith in Jesus made them into followers of Jesus who would share in his works of love bonhoeffer also mentions this um, rich young man the one who came to jesus how shall i inherit eternal life and jesus tells him well go sell all you have and give to the poor and then you will have treasure in heaven in other words you will be rich in the ways that really matter but as, as you might recall the rich young man wasn't able to do that he he, he couldn't leave his money and his stuff and why not? Because oh, He's a greedy jerk or whatever, but, and that might be true, but at a deeper level, this is an issue of faith. He put faith in his money and his stuff. Faith made him, import, his money and his stuff, that made him important. It, it earned him respect it made him happy he couldn't give this up he needed it he depended on it he trusted it so think of of our works the way we live as an expression of faith our the things we trust the most and christian works you know works that look like the things jesus would do they they show that we believe in him. And we believe in his forgiveness and also in his kindness and his care for others and and and, and his concern for the poor and the outcast. So here, faith is not a replacement. so works are not a replacement for faith. Instead, they 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 make your faith visible. And if you do none of the things that Jesus would do and care about none of the things Jesus would care about, well, then maybe you should pray for a a new beginning and a new heart. You know, there's a famous story, and it comes out of the Second World War, about a man named Father Kolb, Father Maximilian Kolb. He was a priest, and he was interned in Auschwitz, that Nazi prison camp in in Poland. He died in 1941. He died two weeks after there was an escape from Auschwitz. Now, the commander of that camp did not want people escaping, and to make sure it didn't happen again, he issued an order that for every prisoner that escaped... Ten others would die. It was a brutal order, and he meant it. And so on the day after the escape, he ordered the prisoners into the yard in their rows, and he counted off ten. They would die. Now, one of them was a Polish um, army officer. His name was Francis Gdzalnyczyk. And when, his, when he was singled out, he, he just broke down. He wept. He said, my wife and my children, what, what, what will they do? And that's when Father Kolb stepped up. He stepped out of his row. He approached the commander, took off his cap, and he said, I am, I am a priest and I am old. I would like to take his place. He has a wife and children. And the commander was like shocked. And he said, what does he want, this fool? And Father Kolb repeated them stuff. He said, I am a priest from Poland. I would like to take his place. I am old. He has a family. And the commander stared hard. And, and, and then he granted Father Kolb's request. So Francis Gajonisic went back into the ranks, and Father Cold, he was led away with the nine others to Building 13, to the starvation bunker. And there they were left without food and without water until they died. About two weeks in, there's still four of them still living, and the Building 13 was needed for other purposes, so they were executed by lethal injection. Father Kolb was 47 years old when he died, not very old. Francis Jaunazek, on the other hand, he survived the war. He returned to his family and he lived to age 95. And when he died, when he finally died, his widow said, Now, Francis has gone to be with Father Kolb. Now, as you might imagine, from that day in the prison yard in Auschwitz, Gajalmazik felt enormous gratitude. He never forgot that day, and for the rest of his life, he never stopped talking about Father Kolb and his sacrifice. I mean, and no wonder something like that has to stay with you until your very last breath. How could Gajonazek possibly forget? How could he possibly be silent? To live because somebody else died. That, 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 that always has to stay in your heart. And it always has to show up in the way you live. Well think of it. That's us. Jesus took our place. How could we possibly forget? How how can we not be changed? How can we not do the works of love that he did? So the early Christian church grew through these, through this merciful living. It grew out of faith. A deep faith in the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. Do you know him? Do you believe in him? Really believe in him? How can you tell? Let's pray together. Dear Lord, our, your son laid down his life for us. He took our place. He became the guilty one so that we could be the forgiven. Oh, Lord, touch our hearts with the deepest gratitude and help us always to, to live as children of the... redeemed children. May that be reflected in our merciful living. May we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.